Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic today, Transforming Security Operating Model. So what we are dealing with today is we have a lot of digital going on and then the COVID hit and many other things which are happening coming from the left field. We don't know what's going to come next. Now, with that said, we also are seeing security becoming important because there are a lot of vulnerabilities. So we are you know, seeing a lot of holes being drilled into the fort that we otherwise built. And then accordingly, we also have many other ways we can lose our reputation. We could be in compliance risk. And there's, of course, financial risk in all of this. So the goal is that while we do business as usual and while we see security as a function within the organization, which somehow helps you keep the fort secure, but how can we prevent security for, to, to be seen as something which slows us down? But instead, it becomes an enabler or seen as an enabler. Is it utopia we're talking about? Or is there something that we can get to realistically if there was a recipe, if there was a specific operating model for security that we can envision and put in place? So to discuss this, I have Richard Kaufman. Richard is the vice president and chief information security officer with Amidesis. Hey, Richard, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on today. Great to have you. So as I have laid down the foundation of this discussion, so we are going at a warp speed. A lot of things are changing. Our life got disrupted and the world got disrupted in 2020. There are a lot of things that are happening here. But then security, yes, it is top of our mind, but then still see the business leadership not changing their perception about security. They're seeing it as a necessary evil. What do you see from your vantage point that has to be changed or has changed, which is moving security function or your uh, security group in the positive direction? Yeah, absolutely. And and I just I have to take a, a, a good step back when you when you describe security as a as a necessary evil, right? Because I joined Emeticis about two years ago, and, and I don't think that they saw security as a as a necessary evil. But I think they had a lot of the questions of, is this investment truly bearing the fruit that we want it to? And at the end of the day, Emeticis is one of our nation's largest hospice, home health, and personal care providers. They want to ensure that through security, as well as all the other functions within IT, that we're ultimately providing a higher level of patient care, right? So the executives were thinking, do we have the right leadership and do we have the right tools processes, people to really impact the way that we provide patient care uh, to all of those who are in need. And so when I came into the organization two years ago, that was one of the first things that I, I knew that I was going to need to be able to show value on because it was going to be an area of increased uh, investment. And because of that, one you know some of these initial conversations that I had with the leadership team we're really understanding from them, what does a successful security program look like to you, 
right? And when you have that skin in the game and that buy-in from executive leadership from Jump Street, it kind of gets you out of the conversations of, is security going to slow us down? Or are we truly secure? Or is, you know, for every dollar spent, am I getting a dollar five of value out of the organization? And, and so that's kind of where, where I started those conversations two years ago. And I guess for all the listeners out there today, I think that's a very key takeaway if you're establishing a security program is to get that buy-in early on what success looks like. So as you are successful, you know, we're two years down range now. I can show through metrics how the, the needle has been moved. So when you talk about, you know, you're talking to business and say, hey, what does a good security program look like? Frankly, knowing how business thinks, for the most part, I don't want to do a gross generalization, it could very well be like deer in headlights. <laughs> and they would say, you know what? Good question, but I don't know. And frankly, isn't that your job to figure out? What do you do? So you, when you came in, you asked the question, you must be very lucky for you to get a straight, clear answer. And if you, do, you did get an answer, I would not say the rest of the life is going to be easy. That's right. It would be better for you. But what do you tell to people who get such a response that I do not know and I do not care? That's right. And, and so that's, that's the interesting thing is, is I, I was very fortunate into the position that, that I came into because, and a, a little bit of it starts with the genesis of the company, understanding that security has to be part of a business plan in 2020. Risk management has to be part of your business plan in this day and age. COVID is a great example of this. The recent ransomware attacks within healthcare are a great example of this. It, you know, if your company is not investing in security, the amount of money that they are going to spend in response is tenfold what it would take to establish a security program. And again, going back to those original conversations was, hey, I want to show that we are stopping attacks in their tracks, right? I don't want data leaving. I don't want uh, malicious software being installed. And so a lot of that conversation up front was educating executives on things that are, are a little bit technical in nature, right? Here's what a cyber kill chain is. Here's how we want to stop it in this stage versus, you know, uh, the, the execution stage of the kill chain. And so, it, you know, going back to like educating them. And again, like I had a very uh, engaged audience. You know, if other people aren't as fortunate to have that engagement at the executive level, it's up to you to say real life events are occurring here. And I need to move us from whatever that measure, measure is into a better measure down the street. And that might be, you know, number of phishing messages landing in your inbox. It might be a total amount of events that your SIM is picking up. You know, there's a number of ways to kind of start speaking volumetrically about security events so that over the course of time, you can say, we were here and now we're here. You know, therefore, I believe that we're more secure. Now, when you mentioned that uh, your your description to them was this is what, uh, what this is what you want or what's what what that you want in the businesses. I do not want data to be leaving. I want the place to be secure. Now, you and I both know you cannot promise hundred percent foolproof security. When it is less than that, how do you 
have them spend money for something which does not come with a guarantee? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I think, you know, it, get, it goes a little bit into things like uh, risk appetite and, 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 and items like that. But I think most importantly, you, you have to put it in terms of real world examples. You have to take things out of like the, the nebulous and out of like the potentiality of occurring and into the realm of here are other businesses our size and here are the, the threats and the vulnerabilities that they are faced with. And when you do that and when you can show, you know, good examples of, for, you know, for us, for healthcare, here's what happens when healthcare systems are hit with ransomware. Here's what happens when data is exfiltrated by a threat actor and is for sale on the dark web. That, you know, it's, it's almost like that understanding of, you know, those things actually taking place. It makes your arguments a lot more stronger, brings it out of, you know, out of the, this could happen and into the real world. Now, what, what we have learned altogether is a good security model is where if it is implemented, besides the blessing from business, they should actually be owning it. Otherwise, you will be always in a chasing game. So starting from you coming and giving them a 101 on what security is to what the shape of security can be, what it can realistically deliver, to them getting all the way to owning it. All right, so Richard, one is to get them to understand the security 101, the basics of it, what security program could look like, what it could potentially deliver, maybe set expectations that what, how far we can do go with whatever investments that are allowed in terms of the security quality and the effectiveness. But then a good security program is one where the business owns it versus you chasing them to get the next blessing for the next initiative. What kind of hoops you have to jump through to get to that state, the, the coveted state? Yeah, that, that's another really good question. And I, and I think the way that we approach it at Emeticis is a little bit different than I've seen a lot of security programs uh, approach it in other organizations. And it, again, it starts for us with, with a difference uh, in expectations of what our business partners are bringing to the table with regards to security. You know, I'm, I'm often kind of quoted to saying, I want my clinicians to be the best clinicians in the nation. I don't necessarily need them to be the best security experts in the company, right? The, the burden of information security to me uh, lands on the CISO and it lands on the information security team. We shouldn't necessarily have an expectation that the business owners are going to own any of the security things. But I think if you, if you start off with that expectation and that dialogue up front of, I need this from you in order to be secure. Can you provide me, you know, uh, a better asset listing or more robust, robust context in, in how you're using these services? Uh, that's how you kind of start taking those initial steps to getting your program off of the ground. You know, I, I like to joke around quite a bit. You know, I grew up uh, playing basketball and by my junior year in high school, I knew that I wasn't going to be an NBA player, but that's kind of the expectations that I see a lot of security uh, leaders have is that they want their 
business partners to be the NBA players of information security with, within the organization. And so that, that's one of the things for us is that, it, again, going back to, to dialogue and communication and just both entities, security, as well as the business partners, understanding what ins and outs are needed in order to secure the organization. So security leaders, I mean, many of them, including yourself, like you are sounding strategic and they are thinking strategic. How come we still have a very geeky, very technical perception of the whole security function, which is essentially pushes away business and say, I don't want to put my hands into this. What are yeah. they holding? Why are they holding back the business talk, which talks about risk and not security? not the virus or anything. It's basically a business risk. And then why there is always uh, an outcry that, hey, I do not get enough money. Well, you cannot get all the money in the world, which the whole budget cannot be allocated to security. There will be resource constraints. You will have to figure out how to get creative. And then if you cannot deliver perfection, you at least have to be able to demonstrate progress. So, if something is not going right, is it a good idea to always say the business folks are the ones who are messing things up? How about looking at ourselves? How would you fix ourselves, the, the, the security leaders and the people within the team? Yes, absolutely. And so I think it, it starts with exactly that, the accountability of, of the security leaders first. Uh, my experience with uh, many of my peer group is that security leaders have typically the reputation of, of being very rigid and being very set in their ways. And I think that that is doing a disservice to all of the security uh, functions across organizations because it is it, that's helping kind of propagate that geeky thinking. Uh, if we're not there meeting business partners and really speaking the language that they speak, uh, we have to change our syntax within security in order to get that partnership that we're, that we're looking for there. Uh, it, that's one of the things that, that really drew me to the position at Emeticis and continues my investment in the company is we at Emeticis have a culture of caregiving. Uh, that starts with our CEO, Paul Cusero, and flows down all the way to our most junior information security analyst. We are here to help first and secure second. And just that little bit of a, of a you know, shift in, in approach makes all the difference in the world so that when we are engaging with our, our business partners, they understand we're not just the place to go to get the no answer. We're going to give you the yes answer, and here's how we're going to do it securely. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back, and let's talk about the specific steps as if this was a recipe for uh, Emeticis or any other organization which is trying to put a security operating model. And where we spoke about business taking ownership, which means that model itself should be simple. It should allow you the visibility so you have priorities very clearly understood. You can oversee all the risks that are available, are there and how you could put in the efforts to address them and actually watch that effort put in and the things getting addressed. How far are we from that perfect portal, if you will, which will allow a business to feel comfortable, 
feel that they are in the know at all times and they understand what's going on. So they say, yes, I am willing to take ownership. Let's talk about this more when we come back. Please stay tuned, listeners. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Richard, when we are trying to get the business to take ownership, of the security risks and how the security function works, we got to give them some sort of a model, an operating model, which will give them the visibility of what is being done, what are the priorities and expectations, and what's going on as an effort to address it and what what's going on at any given time. So that's a beautiful looking security you know, management portal we are referring to, or what would that look like so that business can understand? And because of that comfort of of being in the know, they will be willing to take ownership. Yeah, I think a great example of of how we've accomplished this at Emetasis is a, a project that we took on in 2019, where we had to update and overhaul our web proxy and our content gateway. And it's interesting because I think a lot of security practitioners, while faced with that uh, project, they would do things like come to the table to speak with the business partners about uh, risks, about controls, um, about, you know, maybe some other events that that were topical related to, you know, maybe content filtering that have come up lately. And we didn't start there at all. Where we started was a conversation with our operational teams, and we said, what do you want your experience with the internet to look like, right? Do you use social media? Do you use, you know, websites that you don't know? What, what, uh, what are you Googling throughout the day? And it started with nothing about security whatsoever. And getting that feedback from our operations team, from our finance team, from HR, we were able to, you know, kind of correlate all that data into a single message and come back to them and say, here's what we heard on how you use this technology. Here are the things that that we can do to enable you and make your life a little bit easier with, with, you know, a a new piece of tech. And then here's the security side of the house that we absolutely have to have. And I think one one of my favorite things about this was we actually reduced our policy, which sometimes is the only gateway people have into information security is by reading a policy document. The documentation itself went from a, a, you know, a page and a half document to one sentence. And our acceptable usage policy is now, when you are connected to an Emeticis network, please use your time wisely and productively and browse content that's safe for work. And that's it. And that goes back to, again, a little bit of the expectation on both sides is that 
we want our, our business partners uh, to be, you know, I joke around and say fully formed adults. And, and being part of a fully formed adult is understanding that there are security risks on the internet and that you shouldn't do things like browse Facebook for four hours a day, correct? And so kind of, again, but we gather all of those requirements up front and now we implemented the technology. There were no, you know, no surprises when some websites were being blocked and others were not. And there was buy-in at the operational level from all of our clinicians on the technology change that took place. Now, based on what you went about doing this, have they really taken ownership or that's work in progress? What are you learning in the process? No, they've, they've absolutely taken ownership of it. And, and what, we, what we have found is we unblocked uh, a lot of websites that had been blocked before. Because, you know, part of it, especially as we, we interact with functions like, like HR, we want to see activity taking place. And, and social media is a great example of this. A lot of organizations will block social media outright because they look at it as a non-productive way to use your time. And generally speaking, I, I agree with that. But when you block something, you don't have an opportunity to, to change behavior. And what that has done is it, sure, your corporate device might block a social media page, but then what people are doing is they're just pulling their computers out of their pockets and they're using their phones to do the behavior. And so what, what we're seeing is we're using security and the tools that we have to modify the way that we engage uh, from an employee relations standpoint to say, hey, it looks like you're spending too much time doing this. You know, do you not have enough on your plate? Are you disengaged from your job? And it's empowering the business partners to get more value out of a tool that's historically just been used for security. And so this kind of goes back to that original question, right? Is this is how security is, is starting to prove itself as a value add to the business and not just a blocking mechanism. Yes, yeah, so as you are, you know, as you've lived through this journey, what do you think is the vision you can paint for the fellow CISOs who, if they went through this, this is what would change for you? What does it look like with business owning security? Yeah, so again, it, it goes back to helping first, right? Help, that, that's it's as simple as that. Help the business complete its objectives. Through that, you can still secure things and you can still, you know, have all of the control that you need in an environment. But if you don't approach problems with the perspective of how can I help, you're immediately kind of wrong, right? And, that, and I see in the organizations that I've worked in where I see a lack of engagement with security, it's because oftentimes the CISOs, the, the, the head security leader, are the most stringent uh, in their rules and, and approach. And, and I think that's the thing is, I, you know, I wake up every single morning and the first thing that I do is check my email to make sure that there wasn't a breach overnight. It, it is a worst case scenario, but it's a very real possibility of my life one day of waking up and being, you know, faced with that event. That's the burden of being a CISO. You know, you kind of, if, if, you're, if you don't want that, if you want, don't want that heat, stay out of the kitchen. Uh, and at the same time, you cannot just bring everything in an organization within your, your area of, of control to gain comfort that you aren't going to experience a breach. 
So, you know, if you're, unless you're going to show up to help, I, I would say don't show up at all. Now, what we have also traditionally seen, when you try to get people to work on the security-related uh, efforts, you go to the business and say, tell me, what do you feel are your crown jewels? And keep that, or help us keep that list updated. Yep. But then most of the time, people either are not aware in business or they would not volunteer their information. They would not on a regular basis come and say, here is my updated sheet of things. Not sure if that's even a practical expectation, but how do you achieve it? Because you could be securing the wrong things. As a, the boat is currently moving in choppy waters, or it could be a speedboat, which could be going 100 miles an hour, and you are trying to secure it, and it would change direction in a heartbeat. So you got to stay on top of it. Business doesn't want to do it. It's not that they, even if they want to own it, but do you think they're going to step up and drop everything they do and come to security leader and say, here is my updated list? Perhaps not. How do you, how do you crack this problem? So the way that, that I would approach that, and, and again, it gets, it gets into a little bit of, of how you set up a security organization under you as a leader. Uh, the way that, that I've approached this is I have kind of a, a find it, fix it mentality uh, where I've got an engineering team you know, think of it as, as a blue team uh, that, that is constantly updating defenses. Uh, they're, they're fixing problems. Like these are the guys that, you know, defend the company. And then at the same time, I've got an operational team that is a little bit like a red team. And I, I would say like, again, stepping into any organization, having an understanding of where those crown jewels actually are, that's a great start. But Every security team should either by hiring it themselves or engaging with firms like pen testers or, or, you know, third party teams, if the budget allows to show, to demonstrate, here's how we can get to those crown jewels and here's what we can do with them. And, and again, that goes back, you know, kind of echoing the comment that I made earlier about anything that we can do to bring things out of the potential of occurring and into the very real, no, this is occurring. It makes all of those arguments much, much more persuasive in my opinion. And so I would say, you know, whether, you, you know, if you, if you're a security leader and you're allowed to hire two people, hire one person for defense, hire one person with an offensive mindset, who's going to come into your environment and say, Hey, I know how to get to those crown jewels. I can communicate that to the business and I can work with the defensive side of security to start building the controls in place to, to make that a little bit harder. So would the chasing, we are not able to prevent the chasing match. You just split the team into two. That's right. And, and, I, and I think that that's, that's the right approach. I think, you know, because security is, it, it's ever evolving. And just like to the business, you know, the business's perspective on this problem is, hey, I know I gave you a list and I'm doing other things, and all of a sudden that list is outdated, the business is constantly evolving. And so when you have two functions that are constantly evolving, there should be kind of this, this reconciliation function that's out there that it's not, you know, you don't need to push the information. Uh, they don't need to pull the information from you. If you've got a function out there that can kind of find what the current state looks like, uh, that's why I think kind of like that internal red team is, is such a valuable asset to any security team. 
So think about a scenario, you're working with, say, a list that business gave you and your team continues to try to update it. But as they continue to update it, the status keep changing from green to yellow to red. Nobody wants to see red or yellow when especially they say, I'm giving you a million dollars. What do you do during the transition time that, hey, you just told me that this is a problem, but it is red. And the other thing that you kept me on green for me to continue to invest on it so it stays green, but it's no longer your priority today, it could become a priority tomorrow again. I'll have to stop investing in that so I can work on this new thing that you give me. But then because I'm not investing in that other thing, the green could turn to yellow, which could turn to red when you put your focus on it. That's right. And you don't have unlimited budget either. So how do you tackle this? That's right. So uh, to, to me, that goes back into how the enterprise itself uh, takes on work uh, and prioritizes risk and operational activities. Uh, a, a good example, and we are at the, the, uh, the genesis of this at Emeticis, where we use our GRC function to help uh, prioritize and categorize those risks. And then that output goes into our annual uh, budgeting cycle, as well as the annual ideation process for what work the organization is going to take on. And that way, it doesn't become like a security versus the business conversation. It comes into a, here's a list of items that we have found, some of them yellow, some of them red. Is the organization going to invest in bringing these items all up to green next year? And it's a conscious decision. And so at least that way, you know, again, breaking down those barriers between just security and the business, there's multiple uh, other functions that are involved in that conversation. And it's not just a binary decision between one group or the other. It's holistically, the enterprise is going to address this next year or it's not. So let's talk about the oversight mechanisms. So we we spoke about a good operating model for security would be one, you provide a way for business to feel they are in the know. What do you think a good oversight mechanism in that so-called portal that we could offer them and how different or how much more new or different is the business expecting from it? Yeah, and and again, I think this is something that, that we're doing uh, very well at, at Emeticis. Um, I think, you know, many practitioners listening in today are, are familiar uh, with, with NIST as a control framework. Uh, we also marry NIST on the risk uh, management side of our business with uh, the MITRE attack framework on like the security operational side of our business. And using those two frameworks, it gives us Here's a list of controls and the status of those controls, right? They're either operating effectively, you know, perhaps there's design gaps, but it gives us a baseline of what we should be doing. NIST is is great at that. Then we take MITRE ATT&CK and we see what's going on in our environment. How does that line up with the ATT&CK framework? And then we also have a very robust threat intelligence uh, capability out of Metasys. And so we're constantly getting feeds of, Here's what adversaries are doing. And so we map the adversaries to MITRE. We use MITRE to uh, kind of cross-reference what our defensive controls look like, um, you know, from an implementation standpoint. And then we cross-reference MITRE and 
uh, our NIST manage uh, NIST control framework, and that gives us a very clear operating picture of where our gaps are, where investment should come into play, and kind of you know if an attack were to take place, this is the most likely path that it would take. So I think getting that clear picture again, providing that back to a CFO, a COO, even a CEO of this is what security looks like today. It is a, a great oversight feature into the effectiveness of any security program. So let's take a quick break, listeners. But when we come back, let's talk about the three constituents. So yes, you spoke about the business folks. Then you also, we, we also spoke about the enterprise risk folks who are not business truly, but they are like the third party with independence, if you will. Not third party truly, but independent body, which is supposed to make sure all types of risks are looked at and managed and reported on. And then the security people. So it's like a three-way relationship. If, if the enterprise risk people were to look at what you mentioned as your oversight mechanisms, and if they were to come uh, and, and poke holes into it, where all are they likely to poke holes because business is more likely to listen to the enterprise risk leaders versus directly security leaders because that's where the affinity lies, truly. So what would you do in that regard? How would you make it tight that you get thumbs up from the enterprise risk people? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and discuss. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Richard, we all know that enterprise risk people take pride in making sure everything is airtight because that's how they earn their paycheck. And you are trying to present something to the business. You'll say, okay, I'm giving an oversight. This is a good security model. And yeah, there are the other elements. But these people are the ones who are going to come and be looking to poke holes in it. What would be the typical way of for, for a security leader to fortify their plan, their oversight mechanisms, and other elements so that they get blessing from enterprise risk team? Yeah, so it all starts with the syntax that, that's being used and how security leaders start communicating risk back into the organization. Uh, I am a very strong believer that security risk in and of itself doesn't truly exist. IT risk doesn't truly exist. What does exist is business risk. And the way that business risk can present itself is through financial implications, through technology through human resources, through operational, through reputational, through all of those different avenues, that's business risk. And so I make sure when I'm engaging with our ERM function that I'm speaking about risk, not just through the security lens. 
Because when you do that, it is going to quickly kind of open up that position to lots of poking and prodding. And, you know, the ERM folks are quick to say, did you think about this? Did you think about that? And so we're, again, when we communicate those models that we create based off of MITRE and off of NIST, we, we can say, hey, this is what a risk looks like to security. These are the financial implications of that risk. Here's what could happen from a human resources perspective. Here's the reputational impact that we uh, think about. And again, it, it becomes less about uh, ERM poking and, and prodding into that feedback. And they, I've experienced where they're a lot more receptive because that language, that syntax is so similar to the way that they um, explain things is that you're kind of already on this on this common operating picture. And so anytime you can get someone speaking the same language as you, instantly that relationship is going to become more collaborative. Uh, and that's what we see out of Metasys is that, you know, our risk function as it reports up into ERM is really just a, a small like filter, a subset of the overall ERM universe. Um, and they're very, very, uh, you know, I would say willing to work with us as we're trying to communicate what security risks are. So what you tried to do, and I'm sure you've been successful in whatever you've tried to do in terms of building and adopting or implementing a security operating model, I'm sure it wasn't a straightforward journey either, <laughs> right? So best is to learn or get, get to learn about what your learnings and what your revelations were as part of you going ahead and adopting or getting the organization to adopt this security operating model. And what would you have done differently if you had to do it all over again? Anything like that would definitely be very, very valuable for the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, when I came into the organization, I had an enormous opportunity uh, to rewrite how security was being done. And we basically retooled um, pretty much every single piece of fundamental technology that makes up an information security program. Uh, we did that first by replacing our SIM. And we spent probably the first six months uh, of the year that I was there uh, getting data into this SIM. Because if you don't have visibility into events that are taking place on your network, you are truly blind into any attack that's taking place or, you know, any malicious activity that, that's going on in the network. And so that, to me, like, that's the first thing is establishing visibility. Uh, the next investment that we made that, you know, again, I know a lot of people I don't think would, would invest in this right off the bat, and, and maybe they even view it as, as kind of a nice to have, but I think it's, it's critical, uh, and that's quality threat intelligence. Uh, because gaining visibility into your network is only half of the conversation. The other half is what are adversaries doing? You know, what malware are, are they developing? What tools, techniques, and processes are they using to run exploits? Because again, especially if you're, if you're establishing a security program, you are going to be in firefighting mode. So don't go patch things that, you know, don't need to be patched if a bad guy isn't using them. You know, that's how we kind of prioritize our vulnerability management practice out of Metasys is we patch the things that are being actively used by bad guys first. And we know what they're using because we, you know, spend a lot of resources on threat intelligence. And so those are the, the two big takeaways for me is, 
you know, get visibility into your network as much as possible, and then find out what the bad guys are doing with relation to your organization. We could build a good security operating model like you did for, for your organization and many others could do for their own respective ones. Just because you build one doesn't mean it'll get adopted. Maybe the people at the top will give you a blessing. Maybe they will come and try to be an owner, but then security is as good as the people adopting it at the very junior most field staff level if required. How do you get them to adopt something what you put together as a security operating model? Because you will need their inputs and their adoption. And to that end, what should first shift or on a regular basis, keep shifting in terms of their mindset and the culture of the organization as a whole so that they are uh, paving the way for this security operating model to become the basis of how you handle security. Yeah, I think one of my favorite experiences when I, when I changed jobs from, from my previous employer and, and stepped into the security leadership position at Emeticis was, you know, a big portion of, of any CISO's job is, is vendor management and kind of always keeping their pulse on what's taking place, you know, within the technology space. And it's interesting because, you know, when I landed in the new position, I reached out to a lot of vendors um, who weren't a good fit for the previous organization. And it, it happened on more on one occasion where they said, you know, hey, Richard, I didn't think you liked me. And it was, you know, it wasn't, it was never a, a personal thing. It was just that the technology didn't fit that organization and it can fit a different organization. And so I, I think your, your note there about, you know, different security operating models for different businesses is absolutely spot on. And so as a security leader, the first thing that you should do is again, understand the objectives of the business. You know, in the face of uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic that, that that's facing, facing the world right now, a big conversation that is taking place within healthcare right now, especially in home health and hospice and personal care is telehealth, right? The idea of providing care, not necessarily in person, but through the use of technology. As a security person, it, it's in, that is an incredibly interesting problem to help solve, right? Because now maybe we're looking at a BYOD model, but for patients, how is connectivity gonna be provided? Is that gonna be on someone's home wireless network that's typically not secure? How do we give that person an identity to, you know, securely transmit data? All of these things, are, it's, it's a fascinating problem to start focusing on. But I have to have a good understanding of what our COO is trying to accomplish operationally. I have to have a good understanding of what our clinicians are going to do in that, in that model before I can start securing that environment. And so again, I, I feel like it kind of, you know, kind of a broken record at times, but it really does going back to as a security leader, you have to understand what your company is trying to do. And if you don't, you're gonna quickly find yourself in a position of risk managing your company out of business. And, and that's the thing is, you know, I want to help a medicist drive innovation and care. And the way that I do that is not by showing up and saying no, or not by showing up and saying, okay, you can do this, but here are your walls you have to operate in. Oftentimes I show up and I say, tell me what you're thinking about doing, right? And just that, that emphasis on learning uh, is, is the first step, I think, of, of any good security leader. 
A data entry clerk in your company is also important because they could turn out to be a weakest link. So while you're <laughs> managing up yep. and doing everything with respect to you trying to be a good leader, expecting them to be good leaders, but that person could create havoc, not because they want to, unintentionally. So that means they are also part of the equation. So as my question was, that what do you do with the fundamental fabric of a company? So each person takes responsibility for helping security become a reality in the organization in, 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 in real sense versus just, you know, you, you, you're chasing everyone, <laughs> creating a yeah. pull effect. What, yeah, what have absolutely. you done or what do you think they could do in this regard? So th that's a really interesting you know, kind of, kind of problem as well, because we think about uh, end-user training almost exclusively, in my experience, as uh, phishing messages, right? And, and I get, you know, phishing is going to remain kind of the, the number one attack vector for bad guys for a long time coming. But we've evolved our end-user training at Emeticis to be more than just, hey, don't click on that link when you get it an email from someone you don't know. And it has become more of a, here is your role within the company and here are the expectations for you to help us be more secure. So, you know, for your example that you're right, uh, you know, a, a entry level data clerk uh, may open up an enormous security hole. Well, if, if we're engaging with that person early and often and communicating with them what the, secure, what the security expectations are for their position, as well as just what the security expectations are for the entire organization. You know, that's one of the things that I think is, is missed when we talk about uh, end-user training, because uh, again, it, it's very heavily focused on, on phishing these days. The one final question will be, essentially, if you want to bring the change, you got to change yourself. So let's talk about the CISOs. What are <laughs> they supposed to do to fix in themselves, what are some of the shortcomings you could start with yours or tell some of your friends and buddies, CISOs or anyone in general in this profession, the traps that they may have or self-inflicted um, limitations or limiting beliefs they have, which hold them back from being able to putting a good security operating model in place and doing justice to the business needs. Yeah, I think it really does start with, with, with a lot of, of, of self-reflection. And, and I think the, the good, you know, the good comment in that is that I don't think there's any shortage of ego in the, in the CISO space, especially, you know, people who I've interacted with. But I think that's exactly it is, is again, understanding that, uh, that while you are the security leader, I don't ever have an expectation of meeting with another CISO that they know everything. And, and so just, you know, approaching the position with a little bit of humbleness and a little bit of flexibility, I think would do a lot in advancing those conversations and making sure that security are, are seen, you know, as a, as a business enabler, as, you know, a, a person who can find the answer uh, to yes. All of these things are, are kind of, I think, missing in the CISO world right now. Once again, thank you so much, Richard, for sharing your views and insights about how organizations can implement a robust security operating model to make cybersecurity as an enabler and not a barrier to exploit all the digital capabilities and all the good things that we can do together. 
Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. So uh, listeners, please connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as any other major channel where you can get access to them. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is Sanjog All, your host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.